This podcast is made possible by the generosity of supporting members. Please visit dharmaocean.org to find out more about becoming a supporting member. You are listening to the Dharma Ocean Podcast. Today, we listen to the first part of a talk Reggie offered at a Bodhisattva vow ceremony. He says that the arising of tenderness and love in our hearts naturally inspires us to help sentient beings through the taking of the Bodhisattva vow and cultivating bodhicitta by training in the six paramitas. This talk was given at the 2003 Winter Datun Retreat, held in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. So welcome everyone. Welcome to the Aspiring Bodhisattvas and Renewing Bodhisattvas and other members of the Mahayana family. This is a gathering of the clan. We are making a big transition here from being children of the Buddha to being more at the adult level. In the tradition of the Buddha, we are joining with some very amazing people who have lived back through the centuries. And these people are now our compatriots, people like Shakyamuni Buddha, the great bodhisattvas of India, Nagarjuna and Aryadeva, the great siddhas, Tilopa, Naropa, Padmasambhava, and then the bodhisattvas more recently from the Tibetan tradition like Petra Rinpoche and the Kense Rinpoches, Trungpa Rinpoche, Trung Rinpoche. This is the, um, these are the group of people we're choosing to hang out with now. And from a certain point of view, we might have a lot of devotion to them and we, we appreciate them and we love them and we revere them. But now we have to become like them. So, it's a big step, and uh, the power of this vow is that we are crossing a threshold from the womb of the Hinayana, where we've been working on ourselves diligently and seeking to understand all of the ins and outs of samsara, 
trying to come to terms with our life, who we are, trying to establish meditation practice and so on. And now we are leaving the womb of Hinayana and we're going out into the broad world. And we are going to have our armor and we're going to have our marching orders, but we are going out alone. And our task is nothing less than saving all beings. And the important thing about the Mahayana is that it is not a theoretical kind of path. It's very practical, it's very down to earth. And it affects our whole life, everything that we do. There are two steps in becoming a bodhisattva, and these are called the aspiring bodhicitta and entering bodhicitta. The aspiring bodhicitta is that at some point along the way, and maybe it was when we were small children, it could have been that early, that we realized that the only purpose of being alive is actually to help other people. And this insight can come to small children, and often does, and then sometimes we lose it. And it also comes back to people at various points in their life. It's usually covered over, but it is um, always percolating under there. And the more we practice and the more we peel away the layers of our confusion and the layers of our um, hardness and aggression, the more we begin to realize that that aspiration is actually part of us. So aspiring bodhicitta is that we actually want to make that journey, we actually want to be a benefit to others. And then the second step is called entering bodhicitta, and that's the step that you're going to take today, which is actually taking the bodhisattva vow. It's not that we can immediately rush out and save all sentient beings or even that we can save one sentient being, but that we have the aspiration, having had the aspiration, now we're going to actually take the step and we're going to begin to train ourselves in this way. So the Mahayana path is a path of training and it's, it's understood that at the beginning we're going to be fairly inept and incompetent and we're going to become confused about what we're doing and the power of the vow is that it puts us on the path and there's no exit from this path and our life will conspire to arrange things so that we continue to grow toward others. We continue to grow in the manner of being, help, being able to be helpful to others. And so when we get confused, we'll be gently and sometimes not so gently put back on the path. And when we feel that we've lost the way, someone will turn up to help us go further. So the vow is very powerful. Um, it's, a, it's said to be not only a commitment of this life, but of all lives to come. Unlike the refuge vow, which is often presented as being just for this life, the bodhisattva vow is one that you take, and it is irrevocable from now until you achieve enlightenment. So everything that happens in your life from this point onward is not really about you. It's actually about other people. 
So I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the nature of this vow. And I was going to do that by going through these six paramitas and talking about them. You know, you studied the six paramitas, you've read about them in Trungpa Rinpoche's article on the Bodhisattva vow. The paramitas are interesting because they provide both a view of the Bodhisattva vow and also practice, specific practice. So let me tell you some of the uncomfortable things about this path that you are now entering. The first one is called generosity. And generosity has many facets to it. In a way, you could say it's the most important of the relative paramitas. The paramitas are divided into the first five, which are called relative, and then number six, which is the ultimate. And generosity, in a way, is a metaphor for the actual bodhisattva path. As the article says, you are inviting all sentient beings to be your guest, which means that you are you're not trying to squeeze them into your little Hinayana house, but you are extending the banquet table to include the whole, all of the universes throughout time and space. You're opening yourself up in that way. And being a bodhisattva is generally an extremely humiliating experience because you have to really give to sentient beings what they need. And unfortunately, a lot of times what they need isn't very nice, and it's not very gratifying. In the traditional literature, it says if they need a boat, then you have to be a boat. If they need a house, then you have to be a house. If they need a floor, then you have to let them walk on you. If they need a spittoon, you're happy to oblige. And even if they need a toilet, if they need some place to deposit their shit, you're right there. Sentient beings are actually not very nice. They're uh, irritating, they're confused, they're very aggressive, they're incredibly arrogant, and they think they know better, and they think their little trip is the most important thing in the universe. Working with sentient beings is definitely dirty work. And this is what you're signing up for. It's very important you understand this. It's not nice work. And your task on your side of it is when people shit and piss on you, you have to actually manage your own aggression. You have to find a way not to simply react. Or you can manage your aggression or you have to manage your depression when people unload on you. And there's a strange thing about the Mahayana path, which is that after you've taken the Bodhisattva vow, you become like a magnet for other people's problems. And you don't even have to go around and announce to people that you've taken the Bodhisattva vow. They might not even know you're a Buddhist, but somehow in the strange and magical chemistry of the universe, you become a magnet and you will attract difficult people. You will attract people who are, um, somehow they find you, and they will use you. And you have to be very, very still, 
and very stable to be able to handle it. And the more still and the more stable you become through your practice, the crazier the people <laughs> that will show up. Another aspect of generosity is that you have to actually give whatever you have. And this is um, actually sometimes misunderstood. It's very, very important that you realize that what you need to give is what you have. Many times as bodhisattvas, we feel we should be someone else. We should have more gifts, or we should have other gifts. We should be, we should do this, or we should do that, or we should be like this, or we should be like that. In other words, that, that somehow what we have to give isn't adequate to the job. And the thing is that once you enter the Mahayana, what you have is exactly adequate to the job. It's exactly what's needed in each situation. People will come to you who need exactly what you have. And if you're sitting there cultivating a kind of poverty mentality that somehow you, you don't have it or you need something else, you're going to actually miss the opportunity. So part of being a bodhisattva is actually realizing the richness that you have and the richness of the opportunities that are going to be presenting themselves moment by moment. And even if you're in your hospital bed and you have one minute to live and a nurse comes in to see you, it's an abundant situation. You have everything you need in that moment. That one minute is all you need to do exactly what's needed. So part of being a bodhisattva is leaving the poverty mentality aside and simply being present with the people who come to you and giving them what you have. And not because you don't have anything better, but because that is exactly the best in the situation. That's exactly what's needed. So one thing that uh, Trung Rinpoche comments on is that when you work with other people, it's not like you walk around with a big smile on your face. And you, you just feel so great because you're just helping all these um, difficult individuals. You will feel deprived. You will feel empty. You will feel confused. You will feel everything that they're feeling, and then, but you will feel it more clearly. So when you work with other people, there is no outside reference point. It's not like you're a therapist sitting in your chair with your, you know, your 50-minute hour and the clock is running and you know in 50 minutes I'm going to be out of here. And you have the answers and they don't. And you're sitting there dispensing wisdom. Unfortunately, as a bodhisattva, you are actually lower than the others. You are more groundless and you're more naked. And you have less in your backpack than they do. In fact, you don't have anything in your backpack. Your backpack is empty. You have nothing to draw on. And then, because of that situation, then you are free to actually respond to them in terms of what they need, because you don't have an arsenal at your disposal. So, I think I probably made that point. <laughs> One other thing about uh, generosity is that the bodhisattva path is uh, it's very radical in the sense that it really depends on the falling apart of our 
personal trips and our personal um, ego. As long as the ego is intact, we can't really do the work. As long as we think that we know something and we think we have it together, we can't do the work because then we're simply operating out of what we think about things, about a, a certain view. So when you take the Bodhisattva vow, all of us are um, hopefully have some insight into the insufficiency of the ego. But when you take the vow, typically there's a further falling apart that occurs and your life uh, could pretty much go to hell. And this is happening not because you're bad, but because you have taken a vow to help beings and the lineage is going to make sure that you go through what you need to go through in order to help beings. They're going to help you fulfill your vow. But it's not something that is going to be automatic or easy. Um, I heard a story actually very recently, within the last few days, of an acting teacher who's a very good teacher. And he, uh, he needs to find out where people are at before he'll take them on. So in his introductory class, this is in Los Angeles, this is where this teacher is, he uh, has people, <laughs> this is the first day of class, he has people stand up, and the man has unbelievable insight. He sees exactly what's going on, and he simply strips off the mask. And you're standing there in front of 50 people, stripped naked within a matter of seconds. And one of the people there was a psychotherapist who um, was interested in learning how to act. And she said, you know, I really don't understand why I'm nervous. Because I've been, you know, I know myself really well. I've analyzed my dreams. I, I've been helping people all my life. Um, and, you know, beautifully manicured and, you know, dressed very well and very convincing. And he said, you're going to have a very hard time here because this is about unmasking. It's about dropping this trip you have of helping others. It's about being naked. You can't do the work unless you're naked. And this is um, quite interesting because part of the whole generosity thing is that in a sense, the more together we are, and especially people who are psychotherapists and in a similar helping profession, they really think they're helping people. And I think from a certain conventional viewpoint, they are. But from another viewpoint, you know, helping others is part of maintaining one's own ego. So, you know, on the Bodhisattva path, even if you're a person who thinks of yourself as help, helping thousands, millions of people, billions of people, your whole life, and if you have written books and you're well-known and you're popular, it's, it's going to be a big obstacle. Because this is not about the kind of helping that reinforces our ego. This is not about being a more uh, presentable, more together individual. You know, a lot of times with people, when you talk to, you know, uh, aspiring bodhisattvas, Sometimes they think that they've been helping people their whole life. But when you talk to them, you realize there's no space in their mind at all. You know, you could sit there for two hours and they will tell you for two hours 
how they help other people. But there's no space, there's no openness, there's no real vulnerability, there's no nakedness. And so for that kind of individual, which really, you know, to some extent all of us are that person, part of what we have to give up is how together we are. Now some of us don't feel very together at all. And in that case, we're actually ahead of the game. Seriously, I mean, you're, you're ahead of the game and, and, and others of us appear to be together and we have a lot of gifts to give to lineage over the next few days and weeks. So if your life starts falling apart, if you start to realize you're actually a total fraud, please realize this is actually a very good thing. It's very helpful. And it's, um, it's really getting us ready to do the work that we need to do in order to fulfill this vow. To listen to more of Reggie and Caroline's teachings, find out about upcoming retreats and online programs, and explore a variety of audio listening guides to assist you on your journey with somatic meditation, please visit dharmaocean.org. Our music is by Jeff Beale and Nawang Ketchog from the album Tibet Cry of the Snow Lion.